Welcome to the Mass Bar B Podcast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association, available free to members of the Bar Association as well as the public. We feature lively discussions about important legal developments, interesting stories about MBA members, and helpful practical information about the law that matters to all of us. I'm your host, Jordan Rich, and today we offer part two of a two-part series on judicial rules with attorney Thomas Bond, chairman of the Judicial Administration Council of the MBA. And today we look at rules in the state courts. Well, we've had an opportunity, Tom, to talk about the federal court rules. Now we're going to look at the state court rules, and there are certain differences that are pretty glaring in terms of personnel, who's going to meet you and greet you in the courthouse. You might have a different judge. You more likely will have a different judge and a different clerk as you go along. So what would be, in your estimation, the biggest difference between the two systems? I think it's a little less formal, Mm -hmm. number one. Uh, Number two, you get a different judge every three months usually, and you get a different clerk a lot of times. And that, well. that's a big deal, though, because, you know, you get to know a certain judge, the certain clerk's systems and the way they operate, right? They are so extremely busy that, you know, make sure that you always start off with just an introduction, you know, who you are, why you're here. And if you can't sum it up in two or three sentences, then you haven't thought about it hard enough. Now, that's a very interesting thing. And, and we teach this in broadcasting school to be concise, to get to the point and be memorable. That's key in a courtroom, isn't it? Sure. It's just like, you know, it, I'm, I'm guessing in your field, Jordan, it's got to have the five W's in the first couple of sentences. Who, what, where, when, why. Absolutely. Um, and boy, you talk about busy. The courts in the state system are hugely overtaxed and that's important. They, for, they really are. And yeah. the judges don't have nearly enough funding or nearly enough clerks to, and they, they're busy. You know, uh, I think the public perception is that they're not, but no. they really are. So it behooves any attorney listening to this to really know the rules and etiquette of the courtroom because it'll make things easier for them and their clients and even the opposition. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, one of the things I'm thinking of right off the top of my head is make sure that when you're uh, filing a motion or a brief, give the court copies of the cases uh, so they don't have to go and get them. Many of them don't have clerks, especially if it's from another jurisdiction, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and tab them, you know, and, and do a, a list of what it is that you're submitting to them. And even copies of the rules, too. Yeah, we were talking in the federal court rule package that we did about the uh, the use of electronic filing. So much is now online. What about the state? Is the state a little behind in that regard? Are they still paper-based in a lot of ways? I don't want to use the word behind. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll say that there is a pilot program in two counties now, right. Jordan, that they're in the process of developing e-filing. Okay. Uh, it's, right. it's not quite there yet. Hey, listen, every industry is trying to catch up. So let's run through what it is that you help people with on a regular basis. We're helping everybody with this podcast. The basic structure of rules in the state court system. Certainly. Up until last year, 2017, uh, when you filed a lawsuit, what you'd get back from the court would be you'd get a track, a schedule. They call it a tracking order, and everything would fall into one of three categories. It would be fast, average, or accelerated. What the court decided last year was they changed the rules so they have a pilot program. So for four types of cases, they're going to let you plan the schedule of events just like they do in the federal court. Mm -hmm. So it is in real estate, construction, products liability, and employment discrimination. Now, you say you get to choose. In other words, the the lawyer working a case has the option of moving into one of these areas? Exactly. Okay. And and there are certain things that you have to do, just like in the federal court. You have to send a draft, call your opponent, send a draft of what the schedule is that you want the court to follow. You have to send a written settlement proposal 
to the other side. Uh, you have to confer, uh, and then before you go in to the court on a scheduling conference, the defendant has to respond in writing to the plaintiff's settlement proposal. So mm -hmm. it forces you to think ahead of time, Jordan, about what your case is, what you need, what you think it's worth, and forces the defendant to respond in kind. And, and Tom, give us a sense of the time code needed, because obviously everything is based on schedules and so forth. How much time in advance do you need to do this kind of stuff? It depends. When you get notice of what they call a case management conference, which is a new concept in the state court, uh, 21 days before the case management conference, and this is all in the rules, you send your first draft as the plaintiff okay. to the other side. Okay. And you also, at that same time, Jordan, you send your written settlement proposal. Then you wait a week, then you consult with your opponent to determine you know, how much time you need. And then three days before the case management conference, the defendant responds to your settlement proposal. You've got to make sure that you have your dates and your times aligned because these are very important schedules to follow. Yes and no, not to contradict you. That's Most okay. judges I've spoken with have said, you know what, as long as you come into court and, and you've done it, you know, you come into court and you file this this joint case management statement, and, and I know you've spoken about the case and you're prepared. You know, I don't particularly care if you did it 21 days before. Oh, okay. okay. The reason I ask is because when we talked about the federal courts, it, it seemed a little bit more disciplined in terms of time. and They were very efficient with their time. seems that way. Yeah, yeah that's been my experience. <laughs> that's been it's your been experience. My experience. All right, let's continue with some of the important uh, basic overview rules here that people should think about. Well, in addition to the pilot program for those four kind of cases— the 2017 rules, they also instituted something called a, a Rule 20, which basically allows you in any case to plan your own case. You just file a motion and it's mm -hmm. right on the, uh, the website of the court. can be done by yourself. You don't have to confer with the other side. And you actually ask the court for a conference and you can ask for shorter periods of time. You can ask the court for no time for summary judgment motions, limit the number of interrogatories, limit the number of depositions. And you can even, as provision in the rule, you can ask the court to get uh, sort of a non-binding assessment of the case. For years, we just felt that we operated in a reactive capacity. So mm -hmm. you just kind of waited for the dates to surface, whereas now you can, you know, which is why I call the, the seminar, Take Back the Courts, you can plan your own case and your own series of events in a case. Very helpful. In terms of the mistakes that people are making in state courts, what do you see as the most common of those mistakes? I think the most common is that the, people think that they just have to take what's given because the courts, unless you're part of the pilot program, the courts have to send out you know, the, the track and people feel that they're enslaved to the track and they don't realize that the court, and believe me, I've spoken to a lot of judges and it's right in the rules, the court is very flexible and they want to move cases, you know, but we have to help them. You know? mm -hmm. We've got to take charge of our own calendar. So there's an, an initiative here that lawyers have that they may not have had in the, in the way back, but they have it now. And is it really making a difference in your estimation? I think the more that people know about the rules... Okay. Um, when they first started at the beginning of last year, you know, some of the judges have said, you know, I've only gotten one or two Rule 20 requests. Now, you know, people are catching on, making the public aware. Judge Wilkins wrote a nice article for the Lawyers Weekly about, you know, how you can control your own case. So, yeah. 
Excellent. What are some of the other considerations when lawyers go to court in state court and there may be, you know, a, a, and they may be new to the process? In the past, what we've had when it, you work through discovery, you get ready for a trial and you'd have to file what they call a pretrial conference memo. So you'd go into court and it's a standard form, facts, evidence, case description, legal issues, witnesses, experts, length of trial. And that's done in person at the court. But usually, Jordan, you don't get a trial until nine months afterwards. So a lot of lawyers, they don't know what's going to be involved with the case at the time of the pretrial conference memo. What the court did was they now require a final trial conference, which is about a week or two before when everybody knows what the heck is going on with their case. Um, and that's part of the new rule. And it requires you to actually talk about voir dire questions and procedures, uh, you know, your pre-charge, motions in limine, stipulations of fact. And this is all in Standing Order 1-88I. It gives you more control because in the past what has happened is when you file the pretrial conference memo and then nine months later, you know, you'll get a trial date and then everything is surfacing at trial if the judge doesn't have a final trial conference. And, and you want to make sure that, you know, on the morning of trial, you don't tie up the jury dealing with all these matters that should have been dealt with at a final trial conference the week before. And how strict are most state judges when it comes to seeing these rules play out? I mean, uh, you've been in court enough times to, to see it go through the motions, to see people go through the motions. I mean, are judges adhering to these rules and trying to move things forward pretty well? I think they do. Every judge has their own style. One of the problems is that the judge that you get at the final pretrial conference, which is nine months before the final trial conference and trial. Different guy, gal. Could be a different yeah. judge. Sure. So, uh, <laughs> And they do things a little differently. Right. So, it, But you have to deal with that. One of the things that I'm a little bit surprised at, though, is that the rule doesn't require you to, before the final trial conference, it doesn't require you to submit your motions and your jury instructions and everything in advance. Uh, I had thought that it would be nice to maybe a week or two before the final trial conference, let's discuss all of our issues, file all of our issues, so when you go into the final trial conference a few days before trial, you know, you're prepared, you know what your position is, your opponent knows what his or her position is, and the judge has read the briefs on it, and then you can, you can argue it and you can have a meaningful discussion. Some judges do it. They require that you file everything before the final trial conference. So when you get in there, you can talk about it. Some judges don't. So I guess I would suggest to people at your final pretrial conference, ask the judge that motions in limine and other things, you know, your jury instructions, ask the judge for them to be filed under what we call Rule 9A, a week before the final trial conference. Tom, would you talk for just a moment about the Mass Bar Association's role in helping the court streamline the rules and make sure that everyone's on the same page? How does the MBA work to bring about a more efficient system? Mass Bar tries to work closely with the trial court to try to make rules that uh, are sensible for everyone. Mm -hmm. we, had, uh, we had proposed the, uh, the rule for voir dire, the rule to allow depositions of people by audiovisual means like the other 49 states do. <laughs> right. So I, I think if we feel that there's a need for a rule to be tweaked 
or changed, we'll bring it to the trial court's attention in uh, Chief Justice Carey and in, in, uh, Chief Justice Gantz and Chief Justice Fabricant. They, they're very good about listening to us. Good and, working uh, relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Which, I, is, which, which is, is important. You know, collaboration and cooperation, I think, is key. We should mention, as we did with the federal rules discussion, that there's a certain level of decorum that should be upheld in a courtroom, in a state courtroom. What would you say makes the most sense? I think, you know, talk to the clerk ahead of time to see the way judge likes things done. Some judges will actually make you stand at the podium to ask questions. Some don't. Some will make you ask permission to approach a witness. Um, other judges will just say, well, you control the box, counselor. You just do what you have to do. So it's good so, to know that before yeah. you step in. <laughs> and, and the court officers are great, too. They're, they can be a lot of help on different issues. Excellent. So. Is there anything else you'd like to impart before we wrap up here? Well, there's uh, part of the, the new rules that came out was the, the rule that allows you to select a jury uh, ahead of time to talk to them called voir dire. Mm. Uh, or in Texas, they say voir dire. But... <laughs> Uh, it's really jury selection, and it's a chance to talk to prospective jurors beforehand to sort of uh, see if they're the particular jurors that would be right for the case. Um, it's the new voir dire rule is rule six. You've got to submit the proposed questions, not the questions, but the subject matter be- at or before the final trial conference. And if you look at the rule that allows certain things, doesn't allow other things, and for others, you know, they want an explanation. You can, under the rule, get into a juror's background uh, in biases relevant to the case uh, and whether or not they will be willing to follow the law as the judge instructs them to do it. Uh, But, you know, you can't be argumentative when you're trying to pick a jury for the case or try to influence them with a hypothetical that is exactly like the case that you're going to try. I see. So makes a lot of sense. It sure is. Another rule that was changed last year, I believe the year before, is now you're allowed to ask a jury for a number to award a number in damages, whereas before, you know, that was verboten. You couldn't do it. Some judges will make you give that number in advance. Other judges will say, you know what, that's not fair. We want to hear the evidence first, hear the defendant's closing first before we decide, you know, so they don't make you do it. So, again, even though the rules are in place, the judges do have a certain amount of discretion. You have to respect that. Absolutely. Attorney Thomas Bond, it's been such a pleasure, our two-part series on the court rules, both the federal and state versions. I can't thank you enough for your time and attention to detail, but also the fact that you make things very easy to understand. So so we really appreciate that. And remind us again that there's much more detail to be found online to help attorneys through the process. On the Mass Bar site, we have samples of the rules. We have a PowerPoint on there that can just kind of walk you through them. They're not complicated, and uh, we can save you a lot of time. Lots of resources. Thank you so much, Attorney Bond. Thank you, Jordan. Our thanks to Attorney Thomas Bond, Chair of the Judicial Administration Council of the MBA. You've been listening to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, available free at massbar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms, including Apple, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, and more. If you're a consumer in need of legal help, contact the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service by calling 866-627-7577. That number again, 866-627-7577. Or visit masslawhelp.com. And let us connect you to a lawyer today. Mass Bar Beat is produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association. We invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. This is Jordan Rich thanking you for listening.